I'm going to read one verse to set the scene, if that can go up for us. This is the Apostle Paul writing in the letter to Timothy. It's towards the end of the New Testament. Um, And Paul's talking about how it's good news. So he says this, he says, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news. One verse, nice and simple and straightforward. My question is, this morning, why? Why is this good news? We could go around the room, I'm sure, those of us who have been, uh, who'd say we've known Jesus for many years, who'd say we'd follow his teaching, who come to church regularly, we'd have several answers. Um, Talk about perhaps forgiveness, that it's because of Jesus' death that we can be forgiven. Talk about the hope that resurrection gives us, that death isn't the end of the story. But is that what Paul means by good news? Because what we see in the New Testament is after Jesus came alive again, the people who've been following him, the disciples, and then someone called Paul later and many others, they risk their lives talking about this. This isn't just Paul kind of writing a personal greeting saying, oh, I've got some happy news for you. All my love, Paul, kiss, kiss, or whatever. Now, this is Paul declaring it. Paul traveled around. He was put in prison for this. He was stoned for this. He got beaten for this. So I think it's fairly important that we remind ourselves this morning of just why is this such good news? Why do we celebrate it? What does it mean? And there's a clue in what Paul says. He mentions King David. He goes back into history. He wants to remind people that this story of Jesus has a setting. It has a context. It goes back into history. It's not just that Jesus suddenly appeared and was another prophet or another teacher or another person that did some good things. No, this Jesus is a descendant of King David, and that matters. He goes back into what happened before. That's what we call in, the, in our Bibles the Old Testament. One of the things which I know many of us know, but not everybody this morning, um, is that this is a collection of stories. People sometimes think it's a religious book like lots of other religious books that has lots of commands, lots of do's and don'ts and lots of things that you're forbidden and everything else. We'll talk about that in a moment. They are there. But they come out of stories. And Paul is saying this Jesus is part of the story. So to help us understand this morning, we're going to go right the way back to the beginning of the story because where it begins here is right the way back in the Garden of Eden in what we call creation, when God started everything. You can read it in the, right in the beginning. We won't look at it in detail. But it says at the beginning of the story, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all there, involved. They made everything. They made everything we can see, everything that fills the oceans, the skies, all the stars, everything, all the galaxies. They made everything. And God looked at it and said, this is good. This is very, very good. And then he made people, Adam and Eve. He made them to be like him. He made them in his image. And then God said this after he finished making everything, and especially after Adam and Eve. He looked at it and he said, this is very good, really good. And it wasn't just God kind of giving himself some marks out of 10 for his creative ability. Oh, that's not bad. I've done better. As some conspiracy theorists think that there's multiple creations, but that's for another day, because this one only talks about one. So it's not like God is saying, oh, that's quite good, I quite like this one. 
No, God's making a statement of how everything was working, of how everything was being held together, of how the relationships were working with people, of how everything was working in the animal kingdom, of how all of creation was working. This was before earthquakes, before natural disasters, before bad things were happening, because God says this is very good. See, the world hasn't always been this broken. It hasn't always been that every time you open a newspaper or open up your web browser and click on the news that you see some bad news that's happening. In the beginning, it was good. It was very good. And God said to Adam, to Eve, he said to humankind, look, all of this is for you. You can care for all of this. You can look after all of this. You can go everywhere. In fact, I'd like you to kind of cultivate culture. I'd like you to fill the earth I like you to, you can go anywhere you like. All of this is for you because God is a God of love and love always wants things to prosper and grow and always wants things to increase. God said, please, you, do what you like, fill the earth. And it was, <coughs> the story tells us that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was really good. That right at the beginning, you don't have a separation from God and people. They're together. They walked in the garden. There's no temples, there's no special buildings, there's no religious ritual, there's no priests, there's no ceremony, there's no gowns, there's no special places. They're together in the garden, walking together with God saying, please work, just fill the earth. I'm with you, you're with me, and there was friendship, and it was very good. The thing is, for those of you that know the story, it didn't stay that way. Because there was one thing that God said, look, every, you can have everything. It's all yours. Let's walk together. Let's enjoy it together. Let's work. But just don't touch that tree. Because if you do that, that will change how you perceive everything. That will change just who you are inside. That will change your ability to how, of how you see the world. And as ever with people, they weren't content. Even though they had everything, even though they could go anywhere, Adam and Eve, tempted by the devil, the story tells us, speaking to them, saying, look, it's fine, do what you want, you can have that. God didn't really mean what he said. And so everything goes wrong because Adam and Eve decide that the one thing they want is the one thing that God said you can't have. The one thing that they desire, the one thing that they chase after, having got the whole world, just kind of, That part of the story hasn't changed, is it? Never content. Always want more. And in that moment, everything changed. See, God is very, very, very good. He's not, although we're made like him, he's not like us. He's totally different, totally other than us. He made all of this. Mankind's achievements are amazing, but we can't do this. We can't create things like this for all our scientific discoveries. This is just a glimpse of the power and the awe of who the Bible says is God. Just a glimpse, just a momentary view of God's splendor and how incredible he was. And in that moment, humankind said, thanks God, we're not going to listen. We'll do it our way. And suddenly, Eden was finished. God said, you can't stay here. You can't stay in the garden. We can't be together. You've chosen to go your way. And that breaks everything. Now sickness will come. Now hard work and toil will come. Everything I've asked you to do, you can still do it. But even the ground is cursed. Earthquakes, storms, 
natural disasters, they began to come now because what they did broke this covenant, broke this relationship, broke that it was very, very good. And so separation came. And what you and I were made for, to be in the garden with God, together, talking, loved, everything good, no injustice, nothing that would make us sad like it does today, nothing that brings brokenness in relationships, everything that we long for and were made for is gone. And we're outside and we're not allowed back in because we've chosen our way. And God says, although I long to be with you because that's what I made you, because of my goodness, my holiness, you can't come near. I I want you to, but you can't come near. And as God said all those things, he promised, it's in the story, that one day it would change. One day it wouldn't stay like this. Sadly, mankind kept on not listening, kept on desiring more, kept on coveting and being jealous. People killed each other, Cain and Abel, horrible story. Within the same family, brothers killing each other. And the bloodshed increased and wickedness increased. And God looked and what had been very good was now very, very broken. And the separation continued and God's heart ached because God didn't want this to be separate. He didn't want this to be broken. He made this for us and for him to be together. But now it was broken and there's blood on the ground. So God decides, I'm going to wash it. I'm going to cleanse it. And what we know is the story of Noah and the flood. God says, I'm going to start again. All this wickedness, all this evil, enough is enough. He sent warnings. He told them this would happen. But still no one listened. God said, I'm going to start again. Please, will you listen? Please, will you turn back? But no one did, apart from Noah, who built the ark and his family. And (coughs) hundreds and hundreds of animals went in. And then the flood came. It's like God washing, cleansing the earth. It's like God cleansing all the wickedness and the evil and the blood from the ground. And God started again with Noah. But that wasn't enough, because even before Noah died, the wickedness and evil was back, and still people were killing each other, and still things were happening that broke our relationship with God and meant we couldn't be in the garden. And then you get Abraham. He comes on the scene. God chooses an old man and his wife, Sarah, and says, look, through you, I'm going to change all of this. Through you, I'm going to make it right again. Through you, this earth will be made whole. He said, I'm going to bless. Every people will be blessed through you. That means made whole. The word comes from that shalom, that peace, that well-being. I'm going to fix this, says God. I'm going to do it through you, through the people. And Abraham did in time. His family had thousands and thousands of descendants, and they became a great people, the people of God. They became slaves in Egypt because the greatest ruler on the earth that day was a man who didn't follow God, and he oppressed God's people. So God got Moses. Moses comes on the scene, and God says to Moses, I want you to rescue them. I'm going to do amazing things to show Pharaoh that although he thinks he's great, he's not God. Although he thinks he's the most amazing thing on the planet, I'm going to let him know there's someone greater. Someone who's righteous, who's pure, who's good. So Pharaoh can't take my name. It belongs to me. I am is my name. I always have existed. I am that I am. That's what he told Moses his name was. And God rescues them. It's an amazing story. Not time to look at it. 
But miracle after miracle, as Pharaoh and Egypt's power is broken and God's people are set free. And God, through coming to his people, comes close. And God says, listen, you are my people and I've rescued you. And I want us to get back to the garden. I want us to be back in this place where we're together. I want us to be back where everything is good and relationship is restored. But still, even though you're my people, even though I've rescued you, your hearts are still bad. So here's what I'll do. I'll give you some laws. And many of us have read those. There's lots of them. All the laws are things we can't do. Lots and lots and lots of laws. And all the things we should do. Lots and lots and lots of things we should do. Lots of washing and cleansing, lots of getting rid of dirt, lots of other things which we understand a bit more in terms of how family should work and how marriage should work and how, what should happen if someone commits a crime. Lots of things that happen around coming close to God. Because God said, here's the law, but this means I can live with you. This means I can come close. And what happens in the story is we get the temple. Before they, the God's people get into the land, they're in the, they're in the desert, and they have what's called a tabernacle. It's like a portable temple. It's like a tent. But what's amazing about it is that God lives there. And then that, when they get to Jerusalem, becomes a temple. And God now has come close. He said, in order for me to be with you, in order for us to get close to the garden, I'll come and live with you again. I'll come and be with you. You're my people. I'm your God. We'll have relationship. I've rescued you. I want you to live different. I want the world to know that there's another way apart from injustice and spilling of blood and envy and jealousy and broken relationships. And here's how you have to live if I'm going to be with you. It's called the law. And if you obey the laws then I can be close to you. The thing is, close meant God was in this place. They called it the Holy of Holies because God is so very, very holy. And although God was close, you could only look at the temple from far away. You could come into the outer court, but no one could come into the place where God was. No one could come into the holy place. Once a year, a priest could go in. Once a year. And he had to wash and cleanse and sacrifice had to be given, and special robes had to be worn, and he could then go in once a year. That's how holy God is. That's how pure God is. And God wanted to keep that purity and that holiness. That's why he didn't say, oh, forget it. Come on, everybody, let's just have a party. You can all come back. How could God party with people who shed blood? How could God party and hang out with people who aren't really interested in him until it all goes wrong? But he still longed to be with his people. So we have the temple, we have the sacrifices, we have the law, but we're not in the garden. We're still not back where it's very, very good. Because it's still broken, because people still want to do what they want. And although the law helped them, In the end, many just didn't obey it. In fact, the religious people, which was the very opposite of what God wanted, the religious people started to say, (coughs) let's say this is the law, this big law. So we've got the law. You're not good enough. 
need to obey the law more than what you're laughing at. <laughs> and as for this entire block, goodness, we hold you up next to the law. And the religious people, rather than making it something that people could come close to God, the religious people turn it into something that could push people away. The very opposite of what God intended. The very opposite of what God wanted. I will come close. I've got to have the law. We've got to have something that controls how you live if you want to come to me. But the religious people, the people with very big beards and long robes, they came and said, no, you, you can't come close. You can't come close. Look at this. This is ours. This is the law. We're the righteous ones. You can't come close. So God sent prophets, people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, lots of them, Amos, Joel, and they said, you've got this wrong. Please, will you listen to God? Please, will you start being the people you're meant to be? And yet still, the religious people said, we have the law. We're okay. And the prophets began to talk that one day God would do something that would change all of this. One day there would be a new day. One day we'd be back in the garden where everything is good, everything is righteous, and we're with God again. And that takes us right the way up to the coming of Jesus. That was the entire Old Testament in less than 20 minutes. That's quite an achievement. Rachel still can't quite believe it. (laughs) Jesus comes. And Jesus lives differently than any other person. You see, what's needed is a man who can come to God like we did in the garden. That's what's needed. Because all the time, this law stops us coming because our hearts are bad. All the time, we can't live up to the law. But Jesus, God himself, God's son, God in human form, while he's healing people, whilst he's preaching amazing things, whilst he's feeding huge crowds, he never breaks the law. The religious people with their big beards are watching him and trying to stop him and trying to work out, surely we can get something on this Jesus. Surely we can find something that means he breaks the law. But Jesus doesn't. No one can hold anything up to him. And in fact, Jesus says some things which really, really upset them because he calls them out. He says, look, you're clean on the outside. You may have this law, but inside you're just like everyone else. You're dirty. And they begin to hate him. And they accuse him of blasphemy because of the things that he's saying. And they want to stone him. But then one day they do catch him. I've had a friend staying with me, staying with us this week from Pakistan, just going off at a tangent here, but it's relevant. And uh, he's a, he works in Pakistan. He's a Christian. He's working among Muslims. Some of you may have seen on the news this week a horrific story of something which happens far too often in Pakistan. That when someone is accused of committing blasphemy against their prophet, they get beaten. They're supposed to be taken to prison. There's supposed to be a trial. But if the crowd get to them first, and it and I've seen videos of this. My friend showed me a video. There was a student studying politics at the university in Pakistan. Um, he described himself as a humanist. He talked about freedom. He talked about freedom of thought. This week, a mob came to his room, and they grabbed him, and I won't describe the rest, but my friend showed me the video that someone had sent him, and it was horrific because they said he's committed blasphemy. He's taken a name he shouldn't have taken. And if you've ever thought, why did Jesus die? As I saw that video, I thought that was exactly what happened on that Good Friday. Because the religious people, 
in their passion and desire to protect what they thought was right, got themselves into a rage. And this one, Jesus, who was very, very good, who had showed them that there is a better way to God, they hated him. And if we ever think that Good Friday is just a nice tradition and it's good that Christians celebrate it, we totally miss the point. What I saw on that video that my friend showed me yesterday comes close to what Jesus faced as fists and whips came down on him. Why? Because they accused him of blasphemy because he said he was from God and he spoke for God and he told them that what they were doing with the law was wrong and that they had taken the very thing that God meant that he could come close and they had made it exclusive. So they killed him. We're not in the garden. In fact, we're a long way from the garden. In fact, the one who came from God to show us the way back to the garden has now been whipped, beaten, and is hanging on a cross. And then we get to Sunday, which, just so you know, wasn't called Easter Sunday. That happened later. And everything changed. Everything. Andy, let me borrow you. You're like this. The reason why you're like this, this is Jesus. I'm sorry. I've tried for you. This is Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly. This law, this block of law, with all the don'ts, with all the do's, Every single one of them, Jesus fulfilled. Every single one of them. But they still killed him. They still put him on that cross. They still hung him there, completely innocent. Not innocent of the charge of blasphemy, because he did say he was from God. He did say that there's a new way. He did say that they'd misunderstood this. But he never broke the law. And they hung him on the cross. The reason he couldn't stay in the grave, the reason he couldn't stay dead is this. This is the reason why we celebrate today. You see, our brokenness with God, our turning our back, our walking away in the garden, every bit of blood that's been spilled, every wrong thought, every time you and I have broken the law, every time we've done something wrong, it separates us from God. That's where death comes from. That's why death's in the world. It separates us from God. Now, here's the problem for the law when Jesus is dead. See, the law comes along and says, ah, here's another victim. Here's another one away from God. Here's another one that's broken these commands. Here's another one that's done these wrong things. We can keep hold of him. They deserve to be dead. They don't deserve to be with God. So the law keeps hold of us. That's where death comes from. The law's got a problem on Easter Sunday because it can't keep hold of Jesus because, just keep pushing it off, because Jesus hasn't broken any of these. And the law says there must be something somewhere 
there must be something somewhere. Surely this man's had a wrong thought. Surely I can grab hold of him. Surely death can keep hold of this Jesus. All the religious rulers have put him there. Surely there's one rule. There's one law. Surely there's one thought. Surely when he was a kid growing up, surely there's been some lust for power after all his popularity. Surely there's something he did wrong that we can keep him in the... And Jesus walks free because death couldn't hold him. Thanks, Andy. That is why Jesus came back to life. Yes, it was the power of God working, but there's simple explanation that every single one of us, because we've broken the law, death keeps hold of us. Death has come into the world. It comes into our bodies. None of us are getting any younger, no matter how many creams we use or whatever else we do or how many photoshops we do on our selfies. Let's face it, death is there, we're all getting older, except for Jesus. Because this law, this law couldn't hold him, it couldn't keep, there was nothing. He walked free from the grave. He was innocent. He was the pure one. He was the one from God who's opened up a new way, who has fulfilled the law, who has taken it away, so that now there is a new way back to the garden. But that's not quite why Paul calls it good news. There's more. Jesus dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven is good news. Death being conquered is good news. But you have to read on a few more chapters in the New Testament to get to the best news. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes. Because Jesus opening up the new way and getting rid of the law and meaning that you and I Now, we're the clean ones. Because what the good news is, is we don't, and this is what people don't always understand, because the church has done a rubbish job at communicating this, is that we can think, well, we've now got to obey this and obey that and live like Jesus. No, we simply have to put our trust and our confidence in how Jesus lived. We simply have to say, God, I I can't do it. Look, Look at the law. I can't do this, God. I can't obey this. I tell you what, God, I've got, some, I've got some good things I've done. Here they are. Look, they're, they're clean. They're white. I've got some good things I've done. Is this enough, God? I've done some nice things. I've given money to charity. I've been quite good at school, or I've been quite a good husband, or I've prayed a bit. I've always believed God. Look, I've got some good things. And God says, okay, show, show them to me. Put them next to my law. Well, there's the law. And there's your good things. Where are your good things? Oh, yeah, there they are, down there. There's your good thoughts. Here's God's way. Here's God's goodness. Here's God's perfection. And there's ours. It's not enough. It doesn't come near. And what the good news is, instead of us saying, well, I'll try and do some more good deeds and I'll try and add to it, we say, God, this isn't enough. This really isn't enough. But what Jesus did is enough. What Jesus did and how he lived and how he was perfect. I'll put my trust in Jesus. I'll put my faith in him. God, can I put my faith in him? I'll put my trust in what he has done. I'll believe in what he has done. That's what faith is. Not saying you're going to live better, try harder, or be a better person, or sing songs on Sundays. 
It's saying this Jesus was the man from heaven who lived like no other man, who lived in total perfection, who fulfilled every law, who was everything that Adam should have been and every man after him. I'm not that. I'll never be that. I can't be that. But I'll put my trust in this one. I'll put my faith in this one. And then God says, well, that means the law's taken care of for you. And there's a new way. And Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's presence with us. We're back in the garden. We're all the way back where God wanted us to be, with him. And between him and us, it's good. Oh, the world's still broken. Creation is still aching and in pain. There's still wars. There's still people beaten up in a university in the name of religion and their lives taken from them. There's still kids starving today. That's not good. We'll come on to that in a moment. But for you and I, the good news, the reason why Paul said, remember, this is good news, is because the law has been taken care of and you and I can be in the garden with God's presence again. That's why we worship. Some of you are visiting and thinking, why do Christians love singing so much? Or some of us don't love the singing so much, we just love being with God. It's our way of worshipping. Those of you who stand close to me know that I can't even sing. And it's not something to be loved when I do. Thank you, Heather. But we worship because we're with him. Because his presence has come to us. And it's not just in meetings. That means when you're back at term at uni, God's with you. I mean, really with you. Not just kind of like a fingers crossed kind of thing, you know, oh, God be with you. That kind of blessing that we like to say. Oh, God, go with you on your journey. No, we're talking about something far more real, far more powerful. Many of you can give testimony to how you know the presence and power of God right in here. That's the good news. Before there was hopelessness, before there was despair, before there was disappointment, but faith in Jesus and God saying, thank you, that takes care of the law. You can come right in now and you can be with me. Changes everything. That's why Paul says this is good news. Because for years and years and years, mankind has longed to be back in the garden, to be back with God, to be back where it's very, very good. And everything we did was very, very bad until Jesus came. That's why this is good news. Because with Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension to the Father, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's the full gospel. It means God is now with you. Washing up in the week. Going to work, fixing budgets, teaching in a classroom, talking to your neighbor. God with us. That's what it means. If you think it's just what happens here, we've missed it. If we think, well, that's why Christians go to church on a Sunday. We need a special building. Well, this isn't very special. Thank you, school. We want to bless them but it's not the building. We come here to encourage, to strengthen one another, to say, hey, he's alive. To pray for one another because everything from Monday through to the next Sunday is God with us. That's the good news. The good news is every day is Resurrection Sunday. Every day is Jesus living with you. Every day is knowing his joy, knowing his peace, and knowing this is done. You don't need the law. See, so often people think, oh, it's faith in Jesus, and then, <coughs> so you can help me now. So often people, you stand that side. I'll be God now, okay? 
heading for finish. Big finish. You ready? Good. People come. They get as close as they can. They see the law, and there's a barrier. And people think that Christianity is like this. That people say, well, I believe in Jesus, so this takes care of it. And then what happens is, God says, welcome, because God's an Englishman, shakes the hand. <laughs> well done. You now believe. <laughs> and here's what I want you to do. And here's how you behave. And here's the people I need you to talk to. Well done, mate. See you next Sunday. And that's it. That's what we reduce the good news to. That's what it comes down to. That's not the good news. Stay there. This is the good news. You can't come. The law is there. Oh, God wants to come. God, well, you can't compromise his holiness. You can't compromise his goodness. Otherwise, the world and the cosmos is in a mess. God has to say pure. And then one called Jesus takes care of this. And this man puts his faith in him. And what happens is this. You put your trust in Jesus? Well, this is gone. Jesus has taken care of it. You're in. Welcome home. Welcome home. <laughs> Welcome home. That's the good news. And that happens. Take your seat. And that happens every day of the week. That's why we sing. That's why we celebrate. And the final part is Jesus said he'll come back. And when he comes back, when he comes back, the whole world gets made new. When he comes back, everything that's broken gets made again. Everything gets fixed. So not only do we have God with us, we're back in the garden, but we know one day all of this will be Eden again. All of this will be made new again. And we will be with him forever and ever and everything that's made you weep, and every loss that you felt, and every time there's been a slap or a disappointment, and every time your heart has ached, in that moment, all of that will be gone. There's comfort now in knowing Jesus. But we can still limp, some of us, because it hurt, because something was taken, because something went wrong. But in that day, everything is made new, and we're back in the garden That's why Paul said, remember, this is good news.